Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Hey, um, Chris opened up talking about the Olympics, um, if you, you came in late, and talking about how much his family loves it, and we're the same way. Our family, every four years, and there's something about the Winter Olympics that captures us. I think it's because we live in the South and we rarely see snow, but we, uh, we had this huge... Um, Olympic opening ceremony party. It was just our family, and we made, you know, pizza, and everybody got into it. And, but I, I've, I realized on uh, the first night of watching, which I guess was last night, we were actually watching the events. And it is profoundly different watching the Olympics at the age of 50 than it was when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, um, uh, you know, we'd, we'd watch somebody do something, I would think, that's going to be me. I can do that. You know, I would just get inspired. At 50, I watch it and I think, man, that would hurt in my back. That would hurt. <laughs> uh, age brings humility. That's all I'm trying to say. But it was, I just got laughing so hard last night. Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking about every ache and pain that would happen if I snowboard jumped like that. Um, let me say a word, too, about worship today. I, I was um, really struck by, you know, we, we tend to have a lot of high-energy worship, and today was very sweet and kind of quiet, but it was so invitational. And it, it struck me just... I just felt like the Lord was just calling us into experience His goodness, and then followed up by that testimony where we just heard how, how Jeff had profoundly experienced the power and the goodness of God in his life. And it just makes me realize that long before we even get to a sermon, this is what it's all about. I mean, this is what it's all about as we come together as the people of God that, as you said, Mark, you know, this is an experience. You know, it's not just talk. It's not just rote. It's not ritual. It is an experience and a taste of the living God. And I love you for being the kind of church that that can happen in. So, all right, having said that, I have a sermon today that's entitled, Let's Get Free. Um, but this is an interesting sermon because um, it, it tends to be preached in one of two ways. Okay, this topic typically, now not all the time, but typically pastors preach this sermon in one of two ways. Now, the first approach is when the, the minister has been asked to preach this sermon, um, uh, also known as pressured or, or coerced by fellow leaders. And so the way he approaches the sermon, <laughs> he's, he's like a man heading to the gallows to preach this thing. Um, typically gets into it and nervously maneuvers his way uh, into a very sheepish appeal hoping that somehow with his beating around the bush and trying not to say, you know, the force of everything that's behind him, hoping that everyone will appreciate the point and still like him when he's done and, and will still come back. Um, the second way this message is, is often preached is when the minister comes in with a full head of steam uh, and he charges in and is typically armed with, with a few essential tools for this sermon. One is pressure. Um, the other one is, is uh, guilt. Um, sometimes a little bit of anger. But then there's always the reliable statistics, okay? This is the statistical sermon. And so you'll hear things like this, that approximately 247 million Americans claim to be Christian. And of those 247 million Americans, 98 uh, million of them go to church each week. 
but far, far fewer of those American Christians actually give to the church or tithe. At best, it is 25%, but at worst, it's about 3 to 5%, and the national average is very close to that 3.5%. And then he will tend to end with this showstopper, that American giving today per capita is less than it was in the Great Depression. Mic drop, he walks out, and everybody feels terrible. So here, here's the big difference, in case you didn't know between those two sermons. In the, in the uh, second scenario, uh, the, the guilt-heavy, you know, boom, boom, boom sermon, you get to sweat and squirm and fidget the whole way through. In, 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 that, uh, in that second scenario, though, or the first scenario, you get to watch the pastor sweat, squirm, and, and, uh, and fidget the whole time. So here's what we're going to do. I am going to pray for us, and then we are going to try and see if we cannot redeem this glorious kingdom principle of giving financially to the church. Okay? So we're going to smash this cycle that one writer claims is universally true in the church, that when it comes to giving sermons, pastors hate to give them, and everybody else hates to hear them, okay? So let's see if we can't get God's heart on this. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Father, we thank you that your ways are higher than ours. Lord, your thoughts are higher than ours. And Father, I thank you. You know, I've heard several times people refer to the backwardness of the kingdom of heaven, meaning that the principles so often that you introduce into a life of faith, they just seem so upside down to us. But Lord, in reality, they are right side up and we get ourselves upside down. So Lord, today, would you righten the ship in Jesus' name? And Lord, draw us into some really green pastures with liberating truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start at the beginning, and we won't spend too much time at the beginning because a lot of you know some of this first stuff. Let's start with the word tithe. The tithe stands for a numerical value. What is that numerical value? Ten, right? The tithe is literally, it means 10% of your earnings, okay? So here's the way this, this came about to be. In the Old Testament, God commanded, okay? So we're talking law, command. God commanded His people to set aside 10% of the, the first or the very best that they produced or that they earned and that they would take this and give it back to him as a thank offering and an act of worship. I'll give you one verse from deep in the Old Testament on this one. Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Again, we got to be very clear about this in the Old Testament. It was a command and tithing is everywhere in the Old Testament. I mean, it is all over the place from beginning to end. So tithing, though, was a primary way of just saying back to God, Lord, I recognize as a child of God that you are my provider. Everything I have is from you, and everything I have is for you. And, and the tithe was given, and then it was used very practically, okay? It was used, first of all, to support those that God had called into ministry— it was used to support and fund the place of worship. 
the activity of worship, but it was also used to further God's name or for the work of the kingdom. It was clear, it was specific, and it left a person, a child of God, a worshiper, to either obey God in tithing or disobey God in tithing. Now, just so we're clear on this, with obedience, there was blessing, and with disobedience, there was curse. Now, there's one, one passage, a short passage that captures both the blessing and the curse at the same time. You probably know what I'm going to say. Uh, quote here, Malachi 3, 9 through 10, and then verse 12. The Lord says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if you were listening, American tithing just took a shot, okay? There was something stated in there that, that really goes against a lot of the concept, the force and the flow of American tithing, which is that when it comes to giving to God, this is all about my blessing. Malachi 3.10 certainly speaks to the individual. Hey, when you give, you're blessed. But it speaks to the whole church, the whole family of God. The blessing goes beyond just one. So we get that already. But again, what we have is a clear, specific command and an outcome for the obedient and the disobedient. Now, okay, Old Testament, some of you have heard this in churches, that when it comes to the New Testament, tithing disappears. Believe it or not, there's a lot of truth to that, okay? Believe it or not, that is a basic truth because the rule or the law of 10%, it doesn't carry over. In fact, most of you in your Bibles, if you want to look this up or get on Bible Gateway, you won't even find the word tithe in the New Testament in almost every single translation. But if you know anything about the Old Testament and the New Testament and the movement from the old to the new, you know that every principle and every promise finds greater fulfillment in the New, in the new Testament. Every, every bud or every little flower blossoms in the New Testament and becomes much, much more. So it's this shift that we've talked about before where we're moving from glory in the Old Testament to much greater glory in the New, and that is absolutely true when it comes to tithing. Tithing is a rigid standard in the, in the Old Testament, moves now to, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, to us, giving to God from the heart. I'll give you a, a, a little bit of tithing or, or offering or giving in the New Testament, just a couple of verses. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, which is interesting, blessing for all, but that can also be from the Lord's people. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So look at what Paul is doing here. Paul is continuing that expectation of giving from the people of God on the first day of the week, meaning the Sabbath. 
when we gather as an act of worship. Now, hear this, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man or each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, Paul is clearly saying, look, giving to the Lord, it is a heart thing. It should not be the thing of coercion and manipulation and drudgery and, and, and pressure. And the burning example of giving done right comes to us not, not with Paul in the latter, uh, latter New Testament. It actually comes to us in the Gospels in Mark chapter 12 when we see this widow, okay, this, this widow who is quite impoverished, and she gives in church. And what she gives is how many coins? Just two Two small coins, okay? So think penny, dime, nickel, maybe a quarter, but the point is her hands are open. Her heart is open, and she is giving everything she has to the Lord in worship. And what she's doing here is she is demonstrating, I believe, very clearly what we read Jesus saying to us when it comes to wealth and money and all of this in Matthew 6, I'm going to read this. It's a little bit longer, but, but hear the heart of this, okay? Hear the emotion in this and, and the invitation, 19 through 34, where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He continues, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear, is not, not life much more than food, the body much more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field. They do not labor or spin, yet, I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Certainly implications about worry and other things there, but this is a passage about wealth even if we got a little bit of wealth or a lot. And Jesus is inviting us. He's saying, you know what? Step out of that bear trap. Step out of that prison cell. And everything comes with the worry and the obsession of money. And, and worry is part of it. But hoarding, idolatry, 
or one of the great American sins, looking after number one. Jesus is saying, watch Christmas Carol and just walk away from that Ebenezer Scrooge mentality, that, that, that heart set. I think of Ecclesiastes 5.10. I think it ties in perfectly here. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, all of it, is meaningless. And so here Jesus calls us away from all of it. You know, from the the corruption of the money lenders in the church, corruption, financial corruption can't happen in the church, he calls us away from it. He calls us away from being like Ananias and Sapphira, just, you know, willing to deceive or do anything to, you know, put up an image that isn't really true. He's, he's calling us away as a church, as people, from, from the greed of Judas that we read about in John 12, 6. Folks, Jesus wants us free from the shackles of money, the love of money. He is calling us away. Now, If we know anything about repentance, there's a question that follows that statement. Well, what is Jesus calling us to then? You know, uh, I mean, repentance is always, you know, we turn from this to this. You know, we turn from death to life, from from darkness to light, you know, from, from sin to God. So what is Jesus calling us to turn into? Well, believe it or not, Jesus ironically, by cutting purse strings, okay, By cutting purse strings, Jesus is ironically calling us into abundance. I I think of Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, where we, we get this same irony in this passage. Come to me, says God, all you who are thirsty. We sang it. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without cost without money. Why spend your money on what is not really bread, your labor on what does not truly satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Okay, richest affair is also known as a feast. Jesus is calling us into abundance here. And he's calling us into abundance, but there is a part we have to play. There's a door we have to walk from, you know, the place of desolation and, you know, financial obsession and ruin and all that stuff. But in in, in spiritual poverty, he's calling us from that place into a green pasture. But there's a door that we have to walk through. There's a part we have to play, and it is actually generosity. Through generosity, us becoming generous, we enter into abundance. You know, if you look back at at Matthew 6, well, what abundance is Jesus calling us into? Well, one thing he's calling us into is a much broader and richer relationship with himself through giving, where we are free now because we finally, oh, the chains have been broken here. We're finally free to seek the kingdom first. And we're also able to get our hearts just filled with heaven. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But he's also calling us into deeper relationship and a broader relationship with one another. And that's the idea of of you give and the blessing actually spreads throughout the people of God. You know, I think of Acts 2, 42 through 47 with the first church. I think of Acts 4, 34, where we we read about this this first group of radically generous Christians, and, and listen to this. 
It says there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought them into the church, and laid them at the apostles' feet. So we expect some deeds up on, no, we don't, we don't nothing like that. But, but that, that's the point. It's just making the point that there was this great generosity on, on, on the part of the first church. They just had open hands when it came to God, open hearts, and it led to spiritual abundance. All right? Good principle. Okay, having said all that, let me, uh, l- let's now turn to the myth buster uh, part of the sermon, okay? Uh, I want to blow up a couple of myths that you may have heard in the American church, all right? I have actually heard both of these points preached before um, multiple times. So, so let, me, let me just tackle a couple things that really get in the way because we can get the principle, but if we still believe a few things that are not true, we'll end up going right back into the ditch. So here is, here is myth number one. If you do not tithe, you are going to experience God's curse. Okay, Galatians 3.13 says this, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Okay, it's very important to hold that together. Now, I, I want to go on the record as saying this. I do believe that when we do not give, you know, when, when we withhold, we decide we're not going to give to the church for whatever reason, I do believe we miss out on abundance. I want to be very clear about that. Spiritually, sometimes even, even materially, we do miss out on blessing. But guys, we have to tread very lightly on the idea of God cursing non-Christian givers. Here's the stuff I've heard preached. I, I heard a guy get up one time, and he said, you know, if you don't give today in the plate, God is going to take that out on you in doctor bills. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, y'all, some of y'all need to come where I grew up. I mean, but, you know, I, I've also heard it preached. You know, if, if you don't tithe, God will bankrupt you. You know, God will send you to debtor's prison. Folks, I just don't see it in the New Testament. I just don't see it. I do believe, I will say this, I believe that's the, church of, uh, that's the stuff of church manipulation. Um, here's another storyline that we need to blow up today, another myth is that God needs our money. And I've heard that, you know, you need to, and you can tell them from the South, you need to tithe the day because the Lord needs that money. Um, The Word of God teaches us, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God does not lack financial resources, okay? He does not. So the point of giving is this, in the end, giving is actually not for God. I know, isn't it fun? That delicious pause Giving is unto God, and that, that's the difference. It is not for God. It is unto, unto God. Giving is actually for us. Giving is for us because, you know, one thing that, that giving builds? Faith. It builds faith as you faithfully give in season and out of season. Another thing that, give, that giving does is it is so good for our spiritual health. It is so good for the operation of the church, and it's so good for reaching the world. And by the way, that is exactly where your giving should go. It should go to a church that is participating in the great commission of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, here's what I mean. Uh, To a church that is sending spiritual resources out. To a church that is reaching the world uh, for Jesus Christ through missionaries. To churches that are doing gospel projects local and abroad in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where it should go, and that's how the church ought to, that, that, that is the blueprint for us. 
And I can tell you that at KPC, we can always do things better. You know, we're always learning and growing, and that's the, the nature of a, of a living organism. But I can tell you a few things about the church. Um, one is that here at KPC, we do feed and we do clothe people directly from this place that are impoverished. You know, we do. We've been doing it for years. And if you ever go out uh, in the back on a Monday morning when we're doing this through the clothing closet and the food pantry, I mean, there are thousands of people are, are helped, are fed and clothed. It's a beautiful thing to see. I can tell you something else that we've been doing for years is reaching out to the Geneva Mobile Home Park. As one of the darkest places in Hampton Roads, uh, drug, crime, all kinds of stories, broken families, we've had a presence there for years, and it's not just at Thanksgiving, it's not just at Christmas, but I mean, uh, we've been there as, as frequently as just weekly ministering, trailer to trailer, or, or groups of kids to ministering the gospel. We also, KPC, one of the things I love about the church, the DNA of the church is we are into missionaries. We've got so many missionaries for our size, but we also take teams out on the mission field multiple times a year to places like Ghana and uh, Kentucky and Columbia and Houston and the Bahamas. I mean, we're we're getting you out there. Some of you are discovering that you're going to be a missionary, and you'll discover it that way. But we also help pay the bills of people who sometimes cannot pay their own bills. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you know of folks who have. Um, We also use your giving to pay our own bills that allow us to disciple and counsel and worship and preach the gospel weekly. And then finally, very Old Testament of us, we also use the tithes and the offerings to, uh, to, to pay those that we have called to minister right here full time. One final thing about KPC giving that I'll say is I can also tell you when it comes to money that only a handful of people count the offering, and there's actually only one or two that know who gives what, and that is for tax purposes, and those two people are me and Mark. No, none of the pastors know. We have no idea who gives what, and here's why that circle is so small, because the knowledge of who gives what, it can be a corrupting influence even on leadership. If the church is called to be free of the love of money, that really needs to start with its leadership. So we really don't know. So here we are, kind of at the end of all the teaching. So what are we all supposed to do with this? Well, I'm going to pass the plates. No, I'm not going to pass the plates right now. Um, Two things that, that I want us to consider doing with this. Number one, if you are a faithful giver to the church, to the kingdom, and there are other organizations, if you are a faithful giver, stay that way. The only thing I'd ask you to do as a faithful giver is this. Check yourself from time to time and ask the question, Lord, is my giving still still cheerful? Lord, is this still an act of worship? Because, you know, even wonderful things like giving or taking communion, you do them enough, it just kind of gets so familiar. It's like, okay, checked it off. Have it not be that way. Just check yourself every now and then. But, and listen, if you are not a giver, I invite you to start. You can use 10% as a, as a benchmark. You can use tithe as a benchmark. Why, Steve? Well, because it's a pretty good benchmark. It, it, it's, it's a pretty amazing place to begin. In fact, that's why we still use the word tithe uh, when we talk about our offering is uh, because it is a biblical concept. But here's the great thing about it. You are also free to go beyond that. 
and enjoy the benefits of, of giving beyond 10%. And listen, at the end of this, if you're still like, oh, okay, I hear all this, but giving is hard for me, well, let me start off by saying this. I understand if giving is hard for you, okay? And this week, I'm getting ready to preach a giving sermon. I mean, this is, this is what real life is like, okay? So I'm going to preach this tithing sermon. I'm all excited about it. I've got one car in the driveway that's dead, and a second one I have to take into the shop. And, you know, what does your mind do? Hey, you know, this is a giving week. Maybe I can make that up later. I know it's hard, okay? I, I, I get it. But I've got a suggestion for you, and this is a wonderful suggestion. Someone challenged me on this years ago. Here's something you can do if giving is hard for you. We've already read it. It is Malachi 3.10. If giving is hard, this is one place in Scripture that God has said, when it comes to giving, test me in it. I think it's the only place, the only circumstance where God says, I dare you. I dare you. Give to me. So seriously, here's what I suggest. Test God in giving. Start with a smaller percentage and give it thankfully. Give it as an act of worship and watch what happens. In fact, I'm going to join God on this one, okay? I dare you. I dare you to do that. See what God does. And I'm not just daring you today. I'm, I'm actually daring Jane and I. Um, we, uh, starting with today, Jane and I, and this is prayerful. It's not like, hey, I need something. You know, I need a little illustration for the sermon. Starting today, we are substantially increasing our giving to the church. Now, I'm going to tell you why. Number one, the church needs it. But number two, we need it. You know, we want that blessing that comes just from free hands and, and, a, and a full heart. And if that's not enough, I'm going to give you an encouraging story on giving from my life from years ago, okay? So th this may put you over the edge. Um, years ago, I was invited to speak at a conference in Georgia, and it was a small conference, and something was going on with the family. I can't remember what it was, and, and we didn't really have good coverage for Ellie, and so I took Ellie with me to this conference in Georgia, and so we go and we sit down, there's all these adults, and, you know, she thinks it's like Disneyland, I'm away with that, and very quickly realizes, wow, this is not amazing, you know. So she's sitting there, and, and as we're listening to the first speaker, the Spirit of God comes on me so strongly, and I just hear the Lord saying all the way through, Steve, give. I want you to give today. You came here to speak, but you're actually here to give financially. So I was like, okay, Lord. So I opened up my wallet, and I took everything I had, and it was only like $75. But, so I took it, and I put it in the plate. And um, the problem was when I did it, somebody saw me do it. And they called me out in the conference. They stood up and said, you will not believe this. This young man has just given everything he has to the Lord. And my response to that, I wanted to kill him. I was like, I can't believe you just did that. That was from me to the Lord. How dare you? I was so upset. I didn't say a word. So anyway, the, 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 the session ends, and, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm trying to calm down. And people start walking up to me with cash in their hand. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I see what's about to happen here. No. And the Lord said, don't do this. Don't you do this, Steve. Do, do not rob yourself of what I want to do right now. So people start coming up, and they just start giving me money. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. And before we're done, I've got like $250 in my hand. And, you know, and here's the thing. That was great. You know, it was kind of great, right? You know, I mean, Kurt, you, you felt it, didn't you, brother? So that was great, but that, that actually wasn't the high point. There were two things that were so much greater in that moment. The first one was the joy 
and the freedom that I felt as I gave to God. I was so overwhelmed with just joy. But the second one was even greater, and it was that my six-year-old daughter, because that's how old Ellie was, my six-year-old daughter got to see the blessing of giving and how the Lord is a rewarder, and, and, and God loves to, to pay back. It's, just, it's a lesson. I mean, she's told me that several times. You remember that time? Yes, I remember it, Ellie. But, you know, it just, it just imprinted on her young heart that we are called to give. Okay. Having said that, let me mention one more thing. As you hear that story, please, though, let's make one other connection. This is the last myth. Giving to God is not a get-rich-quick scheme, okay? I've heard that preached. How many of y'all have heard that preached? Give to the Lord, sow that seed of $10, and you'll have $1,000 and an angel of, you know. No, that is not how this works, okay? This is not if, you're, if you need some money. Uh, get, you know, it's none of that stuff. It is not a get-fast-rich. It is about worship. It is about getting free. Giving is about joining God in the Great Commission, okay? That's what this is about. Finally, if you are here and you're not a giver, there might be something you're feeling right now, and it's called condemnation. Do not feel condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, okay? What I encourage you to do, like a coach today, I encourage you, if you're not giving, get in there. Come on, Hawkins, get on the field. Just get in there, right? Repent. Get in the game. Watch what happens. The Lord is a rewarder, but he calls us to be gracious, abundant givers. Let me pray for us. Father, God, we love you. And Father, we love redeeming. We just love, love redeeming what sometimes gets tarnished and beaten up, even by your church. And so, Lord, we thank you today for this beautiful principle of giving, that, God, you've made a way for us to reach our hand across the ocean and impact someone for the kingdom of God. We thank you that, Lord, Lord, you've made it very possible for us to participate in just reaching out to our community and making a difference of blessing your people, of enhancing worship. But, Father, we thank you most of all that you have called us to be free. And while we all know giving is not the only way that we get free, Lord, it's important. And, Lord, it is hard for us. So, Holy Spirit, we just pray that where this has been bitter waters for us, whether it's condemnation or a, or a miserly spirit or just maybe not even knowing. God, today, would you sweeten those waters and cause KPC to be a place that is generous and abundant and alive in worship and the word and discipleship and mission, proclamation, but, Lord, also in giving. Help us to be healthy all the way around, all throughout the body, in Jesus' name. We love you. We honor you. We bless you. And God, through our giving, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you need prayer today, hey, hey, right back at you. And uh, Walt, I saw that you started the clap, so th- there's a points for you today. Okay, um, listen, if you need prayer today, we have uh, altar ministers. We also have our elders. We would love to pray with you, agree with you about anything pray for loved ones. So there'll be folks down here. Take advantage of that. But for the rest of you, go home. And Chris is curling on today or not? Okay, he doesn't think so. So enjoy what you can. We love you. We thank God for you. Be blessed.
Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.